you know, like, what am I doing? What's the next thing? Yeah. And I realized that if I buy another duplex or another fourplex, I'm going to shoot myself. (laughs) You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey, thanks for joining me today on the show. I appreciate you being here. Got another good one for you. I'm excited about it. I can't wait to bring it to you guys. I've got a return guest, and uh, I do that from time to time. But this guy, I mean, he's from episode four. Like, I interviewed him so early on. And I went back and listened to that first interview and I welcome you to do that as well. But I went back and listened to it. And uh, other than it being super cringeworthy from my perspective and just the way that I I ran the interview and and how new I was, and it was kind of tough. But uh, Ben is an interesting guy. And I, I knew that obviously before I rebooked him and I went back and listened and I forgot exactly how fun and interesting this guy is. Um, his name is Ben Labovich. He is uh, he was not so much nowadays, but back in the day, he was a very regular contributor to uh, Bigger uh, Pockets, and he was very, very active there. And his evolution of what he's doing has really been pretty amazing. And we talk about that in this episode. He went from being like a single family guy to like a duplex, triplex, you know, fourplex kind of an investor. And now he's into large syndications and and doing some really, really cool stuff. And this show is definitely caters to a uh, maybe a little bit more sophisticated of an investor, uh, which is totally great. If you're if you're a newer investor and you haven't really gotten that much experience yet, this will give you a good snapshot into what something that you may be interested in down the road. And, and, and if you're already to that point, this is a nice uh, high level discussion uh, about some more uh, advanced type investing uh, techniques and things. So I'm excited to bring it to you. One quick disclaimer, uh, I have never promised to not curse on this show or anything like that. We just generally don't uh, for whatever reason. Uh, but this show does have a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of choice words, a couple of, a couple four letter words. So if that is something that you're concerned about, then just be warned, it's, it's there. Um, and it's not that bad, honestly, a couple times, but no big deal. We're, we're mostly adults here. But if you do have children listening, I'm just giving you that forewarning. So, uh, but that being said, this was a really, really fun interview and very, very um, packed with great information. And like I said, a little bit more of a sophisticated discussion as it relates to syndications and buying larger multifamilies and things like that. And uh, Ben is the guy. He he is an author, uh, very funny in the interview. We were mentioning one of his books. He couldn't remember the name of it. I had to look it up and tell him what it was. Um, but it just goes to show he's not here to promote anything. He's here because he likes to give back and he likes to be a resource for people. So he is an author, though, of more than one book, Business owner, real estate investor. Uh, He also has his own uh, podcast that we talk about a little bit. That podcast is called the Multifamily Syndication Unscripted Podcast. Um, So you can check them out there. Like I said, featured writer on on Bigger Pockets blog uh, for years, uh, professionally trained violinist, uh, but was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis uh, back in college. And that kind of ended that dream. He wanted to be a violinist. Like that was his goal in life. And he had to pivot. And he is now the managing partner of Whitehaven Capital, a private equity investment firm specializing in the acquisition and repositioning of underperforming multifamily assets in growth markets. Uh, in the past seven years, he's managed to assemble $1.5 million in personal real estate portfolio with 28 doors that he personally owns, generating over $165K in annual revenue with an annual cash flow of about 40 k But that's in addition to Whitehaven Capital, which he is the, uh, the um, managing partner of, and they're doing some big syndications. And that's really where we focus most of the time in this show. So I don't want to make you wait any longer, guys. Buckle up, get ready for the very honest and very, very knowledgeable Ben Labovich. Hey, Ben, welcome back to the show, man. It's been it's been a long, probably way too long, but it's been a long time. I loved having you on originally. So thanks for doing this again. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. I still um, I still see your your show showing up across my whatever it is, social media universe or whatever. And I thought, well, you know, it's got to be more than five years now. We should get 
Yeah, I think it was late 13, maybe early 2014 when we first connected and you were on. So we're like, we're, we're pushing seven years here probably. Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty sure that there's been some changes to to what you're up to. And there's definitely been changes to what I'm up to. But everyone kind of in my audience sort of knows what I'm up to. But I'm interested in hearing the update on you. Uh, I know what you were doing back then. I went back and listened to most of that old interview just to sort of get my head back into what you were up to back then. Uh, but I know you're into new stuff now, some exciting stuff. And, you know, this show, uh, we have we have our share of beginner uh, investors for sure. Uh, but I know for a fact, just from speaking to folks that listen and people who reach out to me, uh, there's enough people who listen that are into like next level stuff. They're not just trying to figure out how to get the ball rolling, but they've been investing for a while and they want to do bigger and better things and they want to get into multifamily and syndicate all that stuff that you that you're into. So I'm excited to feed that portion of my audience that's that's really hungry for these advanced kind of next level stuff that happens maybe not at the beginning, but something people work up to. So I'm excited about that. But let's let's for people who didn't hear the first episode seven years ago, in all fairness, I don't I'm not uh, naive enough to think everyone goes back and listens to all my shows. Why don't we give them the. Uh, the, the maybe the cliff note version of who you are, why we're talking, how you got started in this whole thing, and what shaped your life to this point. Sure. Well, I'm not bashful at all. So I'm going to tell you that if they don't go back and listen to all your shows, what the <laughs> hell is wrong with them? Exactly. What do they got better to do than going back and listening to all your shows, right? That's right. number one. Perfect. Number two, if they don't know who I am, what the hell is wrong with them? <laughs> How do you be in real estate listening to podcasts and yours and bigger pockets and everything and not know who Ben Levitt is? You know, so like this is me not being too bashful because some things <laughs> might never change. This they is what I liked about you back then, Ben. It's what I like about you now. I love your no BS basically approach to things. So I love it, man. I love it. It's good. You're right. What are you doing? What are you listening to if you don't know who Ben is? And what in the heck have you been doing if you don't know anything about what he did on the first show? What rock have you been hiding under for the last 10 years? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's horrible. It's horrible. You know, ask me if I care. I'm rich. I got a lot of real estate. What do I care? Exactly. Now, if you like it, not like it, whatever. Exactly. And and now that we've gotten through the portion of our show where I shame my listeners by not knowing what they're, (laughs) the not knowing what's going on. I'm just getting started, dude. I'm I'm just getting started. (laughs) This is going to be raw. You just don't even know yet. All right. Perfect. Um, In 2013 or 14. That was the time when I grew my portfolio in Ohio and I got to a place, I think you caught me right in that transition space where I realized I could continue doing what I'm doing and be somewhat successful at it. I achieve financial independence, I achieve enough passive cash flow, my family would be okay. In a man's life, there comes a point, and 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 I think if you if you look at successful people, this happens several times. Uh, let's call it an inflection point, yep. where you look at yourself in the mirror and you realize that the cup that was you yesterday that's over full now. There's nothing more that's going in that cup, and now it's spilling over. Yep. And you may not know exactly what you are today, but you do know that you are not the same thing you were yesterday. Yep. And so that's the space I was in 2013, 2014, 2015. You know, I, I had a portfolio of property. I, uh, you know, paid sufficiently enough off private mortgages and what have you. I had some cash flow. I, I, I did. I had I felt a certain amount of freedom, not a lot, but yep. a certain amount of freedom. That which I think all of us strive for in the yeah. beginning. And I arrived to that point, and it literally didn't take any more than three or four months of me being at that point when I realized if this is all there is to life, uh, I don't even know what to do with that because this is, first of all, boring is all hell. Second of all, I'm not evolving, I'm not developing, I'm not getting smarter, better. I, I, I already know this stuff. Yeah. Like, what's next? What do I do now, right? So <clears throat> that's when we recorded the first show. That was 
the thing. And I did take a couple of years off. Basically, I created that uh, uh, CFFU cash flow university, cash flow freedom university, uh, the the course that I used to have. I still actually have, but I haven't seen that website in probably five years. But <laughs> People still buy the courses and still viable yeah. for those people who are starting out in the beginning. But I took about a year to create that because I looked at it and I said, listen, maybe I don't know what's tomorrow for me, mm-hmm. but I do know that there's a lot of people looking for my today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, what I have today, I may feel like, you know, the cup's too small, like the closet is too tight. You know, I may need to get out of that. But for a lot of people, just even arriving to this point is what the doctor ordered. Yep. So how can I help that process? So that's why I created CFFU, I just as Benoit and that whole that whole thing. Yep. Um, but for myself personally, so that was done. And then, you know, I had cash flow from property. I had cash flow from courses selling, and they're cheap courses, $200, $300. But still, there was a period of time I was selling like 50 a month. Hmm. So there, there, was, there was significant cash flow coming from that, significant cash flow coming from the portfolio. And, you know, I took a couple of years off to figure out what to do. You know, like, what am I doing? What's the next thing? Yeah. And I realized that, if I buy another duplex or another fourplex, I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> yeah. That train yeah. has sailed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mixing mine. But you see I, what I'm saying? Like, I know. Trains it, don't sail, uh, Ben, but I hear you. I get you. completely sailed, okay? <laughs> I can't go there anymore. I can't I can't do that. That's that's not me. I can't look at myself in the mirror and pretend like it's okay. Okay? Yeah. So I needed to raise capital. I needed to attract equity. I needed to buy big deals, syndicate big deals. But I realized that I didn't want to do that in Midwest. I understood Midwest very well. And one thing Midwest was not, is not, and will never be is a growth market. And so I realized I started looking and we traveled. I took the family, Atlanta, Georgia, the Research Triangle in the Carolinas, uh, Denver, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Phoenix. Yep. And it's just like every place I go, I measure it in Phoenix. Like the weather is great. The charter school education is great for the kids. The real estate is great. The weather is great. The palm trees, the blue skies, the low property taxes, the low insurance costs, all of that. You triangulate all of that. And it's like it, it's in my mind for me, for my lifestyle, for my family. It was like there's nothing that compares. And so we ended up moving to Phoenix about four years ago now. So that would have been somewhere in the 15, 16 range. Okay. So maybe about three years after you and I talked first and yep. recorded that podcast. And so since then, I, um, you know, it took me a while to kind of land on my feet, um, figure out what to do. The first thing I did was I bought what I call a luxury house hack because I'm a real estate investor, and it pains me to all hell, no matter how much money I'm making, to not be making money on real estate. Mm-hmm. And so I bought a house with an attached mother-in-law suite. They call them casita over here okay. in the Southwest. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I rented it out on Airbnb. That paid my mortgage. And I just kind of, okay, now what? Right? And so the intention was always to syndicate. I just, you know, that was the first step. I wrote a book about it. I put it on Amazon, all of that. That's about three years back. It's called, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Look up my name. and <laughs> Ben, you does not just to say you don't know what your book's called. I have no idea. I, dude, I, I did it. Let it's me ask done. you a question. How, how long did it take you to write that book? I just wrote a book. It, when it came out in June of last year, I know how, how hard it was and how much time. How long did it take you to write the book? It took me about three months. Okay. All in. It wasn't difficult. Um, first of all, I wrote it very quickly because I knew exactly what to say. Yeah. Secondly, it was a one subject book. It wasn't about real estate investing. It's what is a house hack? Why is it good? And for whom is it good? And what makes it good? So like, because the subject matter is so narrow now, my approach was 
what are the 15 questions that people are likely to ask? Yep. That became my chapters. Yep. So I answered each one of those 15 questions and that became a book. Well, let me just say, first of all, because I have notes on this, it's called house hacking. The only real estate investment strategy you need to build wealth, live for free or almost free and make money through home ownership. That's your plug for you. You can record that and put it out if you want. Um, <laughs> but that's the name of the book, guys, if you're wondering. And it, I think that's sells every month. Uh, you know, I, I, I get money from Amazon every month. <laughs> It's it's same as CFFU. This morning, uh, cor- um, uh, I got an email that uh, somebody purchased the course for one hundred ninety nine dollars. You know, yeah. You know, I I haven't called them yet. I always call everybody that calls just to, to purchase and just thank oh, them because that's a nice thing to do. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm so jaded. Like nowadays, I don't even roll out of bed unless it's a quarter million dollars. Like, yeah. It, Seriously, like, um, I'm glad I recognized that there's more to life than duplexes, fourplexes, and all the rest of that stuff. Nothing wrong with it. But for me, it was just, it's all about education. It's all about feeling that the intellectual worth is taking the next step and the next step and the next step. Because the money always follows. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about the knowledge. And so that's where I hit a ceiling. I hit that wall and it was just like, it, it bruised me. And then I was just like, oh, okay, what happened? And I, 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 you know, I had no idea. It took me like three, four years to figure it out. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you. You, you went from buying the, the duplex and the fourplex and, and now you're into syndications. How did you get that education? How did you even know what to do? Buying a duplex does not necessarily fully prepare you for syndication and these large multifamilies. How did you, and I, and I know just all kidding aside, from what I knew about you back then and what I know about you now, you're not someone who jumps into things haphazardly and just, you know, doesn't have a clue what they're doing and they just figure it out. Like you're an educated person, you like to be informed and I, you strike me as someone who would understand the, the, the realm he's about to walk into. And maybe I'm wrong, but how did you prepare yourself uh, adequately in your mind to be ready to do that? So I've never read a book on syndication and I've never read a course on syndication. Not saying either is bad. I'm just saying I, I didn't. I have always been blessed with um, teachers and mentors. I don't mean paid teachers and mentors. I just mean people in my life, in my space, in my universe, that will, you know, crack the door, mm-hmm. so to speak. Not necessarily give me all the answers, but shine the light on the important stuff to point me in the right direction to figure things out. Yeah. For the rest of the world. And so this was true before I bought my first duplex. And this was also true before I bought my first 100 unit community. Um, Mind you, Phoenix is the hottest market in the country. I just purchased the property at three and a half cap. And I'm going to make $10 million on it for the investors and myself and everybody involved. And there's no question about it. I, you know, we're going to do it just because Phoenix is, is the most desirable market for institutional investment capital to be in. So it's very pricey. Mm-hmm. But... So not only do you have to know how to syndicate a building, you have to know how to do it in a way that makes money while you're buying a three and a half cap. Who the fuck pays three and a half cap for an apartment community? And how the hell do you make money at that? And yet this is where the biggest money is made. So the education is staggering. Yeah. And, and I've never created any educational content on it. And, and I've never created any courses or anything because I don't believe it's possible because there are so many, it's so dynamic that I, I think I'd be doing it a disservice, you know, and, and I don't know that, in fact, I've declined people offering $50,000 for me to work with them. I, I just won't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, let's, let's answer that question. You buy something at a three and a half cap. Again, I know that probably the answer is there's a million ways to do it, but 
is this all about, I know it's underperforming assets. Obviously, it's underperforming. If it was optimally, optimally, optimally performing, you probably wouldn't be as interested. But it's underperforming. What are some of the reasons that they're underperforming? What are some of the value adds that you can go in and do that makes them worth more than what you paid for it? Well, listen, if somebody paid a six gap five years ago, and they're sitting in the market today. Do you think they need to push rents? If they if the market has gone up, you said? Yeah. Uh, do they need but, to? No, probably not. No, no. And, and so that's the most sophisticated investment strategy is when you have the balls to step in at the bottom of the cycle and play the cap rate compression game knowing that the market is going to take you out and you don't have to do any of the value add. Yeah. So I'm purchasing a property where the average rent is $850. Uh, a little bit cleaned up. The loss to lease is probably $200. So the rents could be $1050 without doing any major renovations. But if I were to renovate it, there's another $200. So there you have it, a property that's renting on the average for $850, that's going to be renting for $1250 on the average. So I'm maybe buying it at three and a half cap. Upon my basis, I'm going to be at six and a half or seven cap two years from now mm -hmm. after having completed the repositioning. And the market is still at four and a half to five. And that's where I make $10 million. Right. So how... How do you, how do you, and I, I kind of, I think I know the answer, but I'm trying to make sure that we're not leaving a lot of gaps for people. How do you get a, a multifamily full of people paying $850 up to $1,250? Or do you? You don't. Okay. You are repositioning the tenant base. This is the fallacy of multifamily. It's become, uh, you know, catchphrases, value add repositioning, all of that stuff just became cheap like a hooker, you know? Everybody who's anybody's talking about that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are, if you take a, t this is just common sense, and this is what comes with buying a duplex, which is why it's a great idea to start with a duplex. Yeah. If you buy a duplex and you have a tenant in there paying $850, there's a reason they're paying that, because they can't afford anymore. Okay, Maybe you can paint the toilet for them and charge them $950. And they will stress like hell to try to be there because you've painted it. Mm -hmm. And now it's not a pig. It's a lipstick-covered pig. But yeah. they will pay an extra $100. But it'll take everything they've got because they can't really afford it. So they will stretch for it. Mm -hmm. But that's all you're doing. Now, if you take that property, you got it. You put new cabinets in, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. Yeah, it's still not class A. It's still not new construction. Yeah. But are you yeah. likely to get a different kind of profile of a tenant? Yeah. Are you likely to get a class A within its competitive set in that three-mile radius? Are you likely to get that? Yes, you are. And that person is going to be able to pay $1,150. They still can't afford eighteen hundred in the new construction, right? But they can afford to pay eleven fifty. So the trick is, one kind of value add is lipstick on the pig, and what that does is it stretches the existing tenant profile, yeah. Which is not a good idea, and COVID has shown you this. Vice versa, if you are repositioning the asset, and by doing so, you are repositioning the tenant base profile that's attracted to that asset. That's a more sustainable model. Yeah. So likely most people who are there today won't be there tomorrow. How does that work? Is that a Band-Aid, rip the Band-Aid off kind of a, an endeavor? Or is that a, you know, little by little, we sort of transition the tenants into a different tenant because we're updating as we go? Do you wait for leases to run out? Do you yeah, just... Yeah, we have to wait. You have okay, to legally... Okay. You you know, so I mean, if you take if you take a market like Phoenix and you just take ninety five percent stabilized occupancy, which seems to be normal in, in most cases, yep. out of a hundred units, you're going to get five units a month. 
Or if you get five units a month, that's 60 units that you're going to go through and renovate in the first year and catch the rest of them in the second year. Yeah. So without having to force anybody out, just general attrition, people moving on, people being evicted, skips, a yep. few non-renewals, a few uh, non-renewals on our end uh, of, of month-to-month leases, things mm-hmm. like that. You know, you're going to get your five, seven, 10 units. A month. How, how does it affect, does it ever end up And maybe this is good. Maybe you kind of don't mind if this happens. But during that first year, when the tenants start talking and realize, well, when your lease is up, they're going to raise it from 800 to 1100. And then people say, well, I'm just going to stop paying. I'm just going to get out of here, whatever. Like people start just leaving when they see that they start reading the tea leaves. Does that happen? And if it does happen, do you even care? Because it seems like it's solving a problem. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. Okay. What we do is a quasi development project. And that goes back to answering, how do you buy a three and a half cap and make money? You know, two years from now, when it's at seven cap, I can cash flow it all day long. And if we want to stay in that deal and cash flow, great. We'll stay in the deal and cash flow. The only difference is now, because I've taken the income from $80,000 to $125,000, $145,000. Now it's a completely different asset. So capitalizing it at whatever the going market cap rate is gives us millions and millions and millions of value. Yeah. So it also provides us with a nice exit. Yeah. So the, the, the sophistication of the strategy is it's, it's a multi-pronged strategy, right? It's, it's both a long-term hold and a flip, but it's primarily a flip because that's what requires us to increase the operating income. And that produces the higher valuation. And that higher valuation gives us uh, an opportunity to refinance and cash out, to, to sell the property, you know, and, and yeah. still stay in there and cash flow, whatever you want. The difference, the, the, the distinction here is that you could go to a market, Indianapolis, and you just pay six and a half cap. Mm-hmm. You can do that. Yeah. But in a market like that, nobody's going to let you raise rents three and four hundred dollars because there's no population growth to to warrant that. Yeah. Okay. So that means you are trading the market. You can't you can't do the kind of quasi redevelopment project. You know, it's almost like doing development, but it's a little safer because you have revenue to yeah. start. With. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's essentially what we do. Yeah. So, so, I mean, in reality, to give you an example, we purchased the property for a bit under $11 million, um, with revenue of about $80,000. And when we sold it, it was uh, 70% of the units were renovated when we sold it. Um, and uh, the revenue then was about 120, 125, with 70% of the units renovated. Okay. But we sold it for $18 million in like 20 months, okay. 21 months. Right. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of, that, that's it. That's the, that's the flip. Yeah. You're in at 11, you've spent two, you're out at 18. Yeah. Is that the plan for most of them to flip them, sell them at the end of the day or to hold on to them? Um, that, that's an interesting conversation because really my job as a sponsor it is financial engineering. So literally, you know, not in the first year because we, we, you know, we have to create some kind of product before we can look at the exit. But you, when you get into months 13, 14, 15, 16, really my job and Sam's job, my partner, Sam Grooms, we just sit there and we look at the marketplace and we'll look at the asset and we ask the question, who can we pair this with? What kind of buyer profile? buyer avatar, so to speak, mm-hmm. who would be interested in this. And every month we go through this exercise and how do we position this property, financially speaking, to be interested to a buyer profile that we like. So the business model, we underwrite everything presuming we have to stay in for 10 years, but we're happy to get out in a year and a half if the right opportunity presents itself. Okay. So it's not at all a set it and forget it kind of business plan. Yeah. It's, it's a very dynamic, very active business yeah. plan. 
Okay, before we go too far, Ben, I'm writing notes like crazy, by the way. I know you can see me in the video looking down. I'm, I'm trying to take notes so I don't forget. I want to go back real quick in case anyone missed the lesson, because I think this is important. And I honestly, I don't know if I've ever anybody say this on the show before. It's not, uh, it's not an incredibly difficult concept to understand. I just think it's something that's a little different from what a lot of people will tell you. And that is, in a nutshell, and, and jump in if I'm wrong, Ben, if I'm misquoting you or misrepresenting. But what you're essentially saying in your world, in your life, and in your opinion, it's better to not go in and do quick surface uh, improvements to a property and raise the rent a little bit, knowing that you're pushing the people who are there out of their comfort zone and their ability to comfortably pay that rent. It's better to go in and do more of a gut job, create real, you know, create a, a much, much better product and bring in a renter who's at the new price point, that's their comfort level and they're not stretching. That's just what they can afford to pay and that's okay for them. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Yes, and that's only a small piece of the puzzle because sure. really most people think it's safer to spend less money because mm-hmm. the less you spend, the less you can use, uh, lose. Yeah. But if you spend less money and 10 other people spend less money, then when there's a downturn, you are racing everybody to the bottom and you have exactly the same shit that everybody else has. Mm-hmm. There's no daylight yeah. between the product you're offering to the marketplace and the product everybody else is offering to the marketplace. Yeah. So really this idea of doing more, not less, came about as a, um, a safety trigger. We said, okay, we don't have a crystal ball. We know how to be aggressive. But the most important thing is how do we be safe? Yeah. And quality is always king in a downturn because everybody starts looking right. You know, class A people uh, start discounting their rents because, you know, they've overbuilt or whatever. Then class B people look at that and say, well, crap, I can afford class A. I'm going to go and pay for class A. Then class B starts discounting concessions. All of a sudden, class C look around and say, look, I can afford class B. Mm-hmm. And so on and so forth. Yeah. And so what we've created is a product that even class B can't compete with because class B is 2000 construction with Formica countertops and black appliances. And for the owner at their basis to go out and spend the money yeah. to do the kind of updates, you know, we're, we're, so it's a safety play Yeah, is what I'm, what I'm driving at. Gotcha. Right. So that was the basis for it. Now, can you do it on a small scale? Maybe, maybe not. This is where being in a duplex scenario doesn't, it's not great. Uh, is it going to work 100% in every location? No, of course not. You have to be careful what location you buy, what product you buy, what unit mix, what unit layout, size, all of that. All of that matters. It's crucial. And understand when we buy an asset and we go into a location, there's no comps. Nobody's done it before. Hmm. And so it's it's a real gut check. So I'm not saying, you know, it's it's a walk in the park like it's simple. Yeah. No, we're taking on a lot of risk. We're reaping a lot of re- uh, reward for it, but we're taking on a lot of risk. But the whole business profile was, listen, if we fund this renovation while the times are good, then we're guaranteed. And COVID was an example. Every, see, most sponsors have one pile of money. Here it is. Yep. When the times are good, we're going to spend some of that money on capital improvements and make the units nicer. But if the times are bad, there's risk in the marketplace. There, you know, COVID happened, mm. blacks won. Let's shut that off and hold reserves. Well, we don't do that. We have a pile of money here for CapEx yep. and another pile of money here for reserves. So when COVID happened, guess what? And we have, we're vertically integrated, so we own our construction company in-house. Mm. So we we continued renovating units, full steam. Yeah. Every unit that came up, we renovated every unit throughout the entire COVID thing. So while everybody else took nine months and, and lost time, essentially, we continued to renovate the whole thing. And so now we're ahead of the game yeah. relative to where other people are in the best market in the country. 
All right. So let me, let's dig into some of this. Uh, I'm realizing this could be a five hour podcast, but we can't do that. So yeah. let's, let's hit, let's hit some stuff that I know people think about when they start hearing these conversations. Cause you're talking about some of the operational and, and, uh, the tech, the tech, um, tactician stuff. Yeah. How let's, let's get a, go back to maybe more of a, uh, this is, this is going to be, it really depends. And I know it's going to be a deep answer, but how are you finding properties. I know you're in Phoenix. Are you, are you, I assume you're staying in that Phoenix area. How are you finding these, these deals that you're, that you're getting? Very simple. All of it is brokers. Really? Okay. All brokers. All of it is brokers. Okay. Is there a plethora of deals or are you like, is this a real grind with the relationships and reworking it? Okay. Okay. It's a real grind. It's a real relationship thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, the deals are, extraordinarily hard to come by most of our stuff comes to us off market we can't be competitive on market okay last time we tried to offer on a property that was on full market there were 50 offers from all over the country and the property ended up trading five million dollars more or something like that than what the initial broker guidance was so it's we we typically we've bought on market but it's been a couple of years we we haven't been able to. So you're dealing with brokers and you're saying you're buying off market because once it hits the market, it's a feeding frenzy and it goes it goes for yeah, too so, much. So what I mean by market in, in this institutional space, market is when they hit the send button and it goes out to 70,000 email boxes. Gotcha. So here's That's- my question. Here's my question. I'm sitting out there listening to this conversation and maybe I'm a broker. And I say, why would any broker worth a damn go to Ben and let him buy this when he knows for a fact if he hits that send button, he'll get way more money for that property. Well, because not every seller wants to go to market. Okay. I've got a property contract to sell right now to another syndicator who wants to, you know, finish out the project. Yeah. Um, that we took uh, the revenue from about 120 to about 160, 165. In the last 18 months, uh, we've built the gym, we've built the office. We actually do ground up. We, we do serious, serious construction, serious lifts. Yeah. Um, renovated about 50% of the units. But a broker in town who knows we have the property, they had somebody looking. He thought this property would fit the bill. He called me, said, can you, can you shoot me the financials? Looked at it. And we had an offer. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's done like that. Okay. Uh, there's a there's an extreme shortage of product. Um, and, and he knows I'm going to have to roll the money into something else. So th- there's a lot of brokers in town that are hopefully currently searching for property for us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as a seller, I don't necessarily want to go to full market. Um, specifically. Now, if this is a turnkey asset that I've fully renovated, and that goes to selling in different stages of the cycle of our ownership of the property. Yep. It's a separate conversation, which I guess we need to have in order to really uh, peg all of this on. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned, we, we sit there and we try to identify the, the buyer profile that would work for a problem, you know. So, a syndicator who is perhaps uh, doesn't have a, a construction in house or who is perhaps more in tune with instead of renovating 100% of the units, they will have platinum level right here and that's going to be our renovations. And then they will have gold level here where they will do lipstick on the pig over here. And then they'll have silver over there uh, that they will barely touch, maybe replace the flooring or what have you and just yeah. keep the classic, you know. A lot of people operate that way, but it's a it's a de-risked deal, and that's what they want. They don't want to do the heavy lift, yeah. but we've done it for them, and they're happy to pay us for it. But they're more comfortable with another kind of business profile. So, gotcha. They walk into our transaction, so that's one kind of uh, you know. Then, as a property evolves, and and then now it becomes a turnkey. Well, now if we own it for five years after it's been made turnkey, now it's uh, light value add all over again. So 
at every stage in the property cycle, it's a slightly different buyer profile that's interested in that. Yeah. That's a great point, so, actually, Ben. You you buy a property. Let's just say you don't sell it for whatever reason right away, and you have it for how many years? Would and maybe you haven't gotten to this point yet, but if you were to hold on to a property, how long does it take before the process kind of needs to start again because of wear and tear? Yeah, it's about five to seven years. Okay. Is, so, is your plan to not be involved in that deal beyond that, or are you totally open to that? Yeah, I, I'm open to that, but my plan is to deliver the highest uh, returns on a risk-adjusted basis. Okay. And, you know, value-add is the single mitigator of risk. Gotcha. Because it's, it, I control the process, not the market. It's got nothing to do with the market. If I'm capitalized to complete the process, and I've raised the capital to complete that process on day one, I have the money to do it, irrelative of what's happening in the market. Yeah. And regardless of what's happening in the market, having quality is always better than having a pig. Yeah. So I'm never going to not want to complete that process, but I'm always trying to get out. That's my job. I'm always trying to get out because gotcha. time value of money on the internal revenue, uh, internal um, uh, rate of return basis. Mm -hmm better off to go sooner than later yeah um you're always better off to have some value add when you are selling because there's additional buyers that may be interested yeah but you know you're prepared to stay there for a long time if need be yeah. if you can't find an exit but in order to find the exit you got to be looking for that and you got to position the property for that and that's what we do that's my job that's gotcha that's okay so you you have brokers that you deal with it sounds like fairly exclusively it's a relationship thing. It's a grind. It's very difficult to find deals. From a bullet point perspective, what are some of the things that you look for in a deal that a broker brings to you to determine whether or not it's something you're interested in pursuing and moving to the next step? Well, for me, um, everything starts with safety and what that product is, where it is, what it looks like the vintage, the mechanical setup, those things are the things that are very difficult to change. Mm -hmm. You can't take a 70s, 60s, 70s construction, catwalk, hotel-looking thing and convert it into something that looks like it was built in 1990. Yeah. You just can't do it because the design features, the the it's not really even functional obsolescence. It can still be very functional. But it, it, it'll never, there's nothing, I can't spend enough money to make it look like something it's not. Yeah. So unless it's a very special location, which is a whole another conversation. Sure. In some locations, you just buy what you need to buy in order to be in that location. Yeah. Because that's all there is to it. Yeah. Um, in majority of the cases, I just told you, location, vintage, type of mechanical setup. Uh, unit mix, unit size. Okay. Those five things, and I right away I get I get the lead. I don't have to look at financials. If it doesn't look like the right kind of product for that long, I, I'm not interested. Vintage, you mean the year? Is there a cutoff for you? Uh, I like 80s. 80s or newer, I assume. Uh, mechanicals. What do you mean by that? Is there a certain kind of mechanicals I, I don't like you boilers don't want? And okay, boilers and what? I'm sorry. Chillers. Chillers. Which. Out here in the uh, in Arizona, there's they're, they're prevalent. Um, they don't really work okay. well enough to uh, sustain uh, cool, uh, comfortable environments yeah. in 115 degree weather. Uh, so, but that's what was available and what was installed in the 60s and mm -hmm. 70s. In some cases in the 80s, all not often. Okay, but um, you know. Unit layouts are important, and generally speaking, until you get into the 80s, it's touch and go. Okay. Um, we, we've bought uh, 60s product before, but it was a very it was a special location kind of thing. Mm, okay, uh, where we just have to have the product, yeah. and we did what we needed to do. I mean, and and continue doing it because we still have that in our portfolio. 
what's wrong with 60s layouts? What what is what are they non-functional? You said they could be functional, but what is the problem with them? What's the major problem? Um a lot of times 60s layout is more mechanical hmm. rather than layout wise. Okay. And also very um region specific. If you look in the Midwest, there's nothing wrong with the 60s. Yeah. Um uh, if you look at Arizona, 60s is a very it's 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 old. Yeah. But Arizona, Phoenix, um, has added 100,000 population in one year last year. It's a five million MSA today, and a decade ago, 50 percent of the freeways didn't exist wow. in this town. This is a very new town. Hmm. That's why 60s construction here and 60s construction in Indianapolis are not equivalent gotcha. conversation. Gotcha. Okay. That's good. That's a good distinction because I'm thinking in Michigan, 60s, you know, it's not horrible. It's not, it's not that big of a deal necessarily. Um, so it's interesting to know. All right. So the big thing I think people have when they start thinking about big multifamily is they go, I understand everything Ben's saying philosophically, at least they understand it conceptually. This is you're talking about millions and millions of dollars. So you go from like a duplex that you might be able to finance traditionally or have a private lender that has a hundred thousand dollars if you're in the Midwest and they can help you finance that. How are you financing these multi-million dollar deals? I, I mean, I think I know, but let's just help people who are wondering how you yeah, do that. They're all syndications. Um, these are all uh, private placements. Yep. Uh, whether it be a B or a C, you know, accredited only or or not. I mean, it's it's private placements. So, how are you finding these investors? What what's the what's the mode here? What's the plan? Private network. I mean, that's a B, right? But how, how are how are you? It's are you private network? Private it's network. all private network okay. because we've never advertised. Um, it's all. I mean, I've been around for a long time. I've written yeah. on bigger pockets for a decade. Yeah, uh, I have a lot of students that I taught back in the day. You're talking about thousands. Yeah, of students that I taught back in the day. Um, you know, it's, I, I, I am what they call a known commodity, which is yeah. why facetiously we started the podcast the way we did. Like, if you don't know Ben Leibovich, yeah, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I, I you know, yeah. if you're 18 years old and you're listening to this podcast, 10 years ago, you're still sucking on your mama's titty. So that's okay. <laughs> you know, you're excused not knowing yeah, <laughs> this, I miss having you on, Ben. It's been a while. I forgot what it's like to have you on as a guest. <laughs> okay, You're understood. Why people? I'm making him blush. No, 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 I'm no, no. no. Right I, listen, I, I've, I've, oof. my dad was a marine, and I had all boys in my family. Trust me, I've heard it all. But uh, you know, yeah, I know, I know exactly. So, okay. You, you, you're a known commodity that it isn't that's certain relatively unique situation. However, um, it does it does bring up a greater point of don't try to be anonymous in this industry. Don't think that you can operate under a rock and never talk about anything. The more connections you make, the more relationships, the more you become a known commodity, or at least you know, someone who who's reliable and has been around and knows what they're talking about. So that means Ben, you know, 15 years ago may not have had the same opportunities to raise money as Ben 2021 because you are a known commodity and you've spent that time and that that time equity building up who you are, what's your name, and the fact that you have some some knowledge here and that people can trust you. Right. And it gets easier once you start performing. First, you start performing yeah. for private investor here and there. Then you start performing for a small partnership. Then you start performing with, you know, delivering huge returns on your exits on, you know, so it's, it, it does help. But let me take you back to, to another point. Um, it's not that I spent 15 years trying to be known. Sure. It's somewhere down the line, I realized that being helpful is the best way to be known. Yeah. And that's the way that produces the most uh, uh, positive. Um, what's the, what's the, goodwill yeah um, you know in in the space yeah so i realized as an entrepreneur it's very simple you guys it's a very simple formula if i want to know something i bet you there's a bunch of people who want to know the same thing about the same stuff yep. for the same reasons that i want to know about it so if i figure something out why don't i write it down 
Yeah. Why don't I do a podcast about it? Why don't I create a course about it? Yeah. You know, we talked about CFFU. We talked about the house hacking. I didn't write about house hacking because I figured I did it. And it was, it completely filled a gap in my financial universe at that stage. At that point in time, I yeah. showed up to yeah. a new city and I was, I did research and try to figure out what to do. And this was an answer. And I said, well, shit, this would be a great answer for a lot of people in my position. And there's a lot of people in my position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wrote a book about it, did a couple of podcasts about it, right? Um, the same is true with syndication, the podcast, the syndication not scripted. Multifamily. I don't know what my shit is called. <laughs> I know. I'm already looking it up for you, Ben, just so I can make sure. Multifamily syndication unscripted. There you go. Yeah. So we just recorded another season about to release it in the next month or so. Uh, but the same idea. You just you provide content without the BS that is real. It's actionable. It's helpful to someone. Now, would I create another CFFU course about single family, small multifamily? No. My time is worth too much. I am not in the business of making money on education. There's a lot of people out there in the business of making money on education. Yeah. I make a lot of money doing what I do. So I am happy to help, but I don't charge for it. I don't make, you know, I don't make money on education. That's not my thing yeah. today. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I still do it because that's the thing that develops the goodwill. And that's the thing that, if I, as I learn, you learn. So every season of the podcast that we release is because we learned a bunch of shit in the last year and it's all in this podcast. So that's why we release it. Now, do you think people do a double take and say, wow, first of all, these guys are doing something. And second of all, they're actually talking about the actual stuff that they're doing without charging 50,000. I mean, of course they do. Do you think it attracts people to Ben or Sam or White Haven Capital or what? You know, of course it does. But the whole premise that underlines everything in entrepreneurship is that you are filling a knowledge gap yeah. for somebody. And the more people you fill that knowledge gap for, the more payoff you're going to see in the end. And you can't tell right away what kind of payoff it's going to be, like what sure. it's going to look like. Yeah. Sometimes they give you a couple of hundred dollars for the course, which is fantastic. Other times they give you a couple of hundred thousand dollars to put in your deal, which is fantastic. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So the, the big point here is, guys, not to imply that Ben 10 years ago set out to become a known person so that he could get money. The point is, providing value, putting value out to the world and, and, and helping people eventually just sort of caught up with you and, and was, became a benefit to you and your business because you've been helping people for a decade or more. And, and that's what you're talking about. And, and I think that's important because if you say, well, Ben said, or Mike said <laughs> that Ben said, I, I need to go out there and start making a name for myself. And then I can expect people to give me money. That's that you're missing the point, right? Ben was putting out well, things on bigger pockets. Stupid. Yeah. They're not stupid. Yeah. They can they can read my stuff and read somebody else's and know that they should be talking to me. They can they can, you know, the people aren't stupid. You're not gonna fool people, or at least you're not gonna fool them for a long period of time right. and have a long, illustrious career staying in this business. People aren't stupid. Yeah. And if that's not enough, you are gonna have to stand in front of the pearly gates at some point. <laughs> and you have to answer for what you did. So don't be yeah. a shithead yeah. and, 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 and teach people that which you don't know or, yep. or uh, you know, take, take some kind of shortcut or whatever, you know. True. Yeah. I, every step of the way, I was very passionate about what I was doing. And like the, the thing is, the reason I wouldn't teach right now is because I just don't have that passion. It wouldn't be fair for me to continue doing it. CFFU, I created, I don't know, eight years ago. And it's automated and people still buy it. And God bless. It's $200. It's the best value. It's well-organized. 
you can go ahead and go log on to bigger pockets and spend the next five months trying to find your ass from your head. You can do it if you've got the time. Yeah. Or if you don't have the time, you can pay two hundred dollars and buy Ben's, you know, thing. And and it's it's just great. But there's nothing new in it. There's nothing. I'm not. You know, two hundred dollars is fair, and it's automated. Yeah. And it's there for people. Yeah. Who wants it? Great, fantastic. It's not my business. What's it called again? Re- remind everybody what's in case they're Cash curious. Freedom University. It's on my website. Just askbenwhy.com. Okay. Got it. Just askbenwhy.com. Yep. That website, I'm, you know, our, our syndication website is whitehavencapital.com. Um, and that's myself and my partner, Sam, and all of that ecosystem. Okay. So I've, I've moved away from just as Ben Y. Yep. Uh, and we'll, we'll, have, we'll have all this in the show notes, guys. So don't don't pull over your car or whatever. Just we'll have it in the show notes. Go check it out. Um, I, I I told you we'd be done within the hour, and I, I should have known that you're you're interesting guy. You have a lot to say. We could do this for another hour easily. I've got notes that I haven't even gotten to, but I do want to ask you this because I think that's on people's mind. Uh, what in your world? Forget about single family for a minute. Just talking your world. Right, we're in syndication world. What if any effect? can we expect to see or what do you expect to see yourself in your own business from this whole COVID pandemic? What do you think will be the result over the next 18 months or 24 months uh, from COVID? So I don't really care. A, all of my projects are capitalized. Okay. B, I'm prepared to hold for a decade if I need to. C, if times are good, I'm selling and making a bunch of money. If times are bad, I'm buying at a discount and making a bunch of money. Right. I don't really care. So honestly, that doesn't sound that different from an answer. If you were going to answer about more of a single family kind of a world, like, and I tell people the same thing. I, I appreciate this because you kind of said it in our last interview too, when I asked you not about COVID obviously, but the market and you said it, the market doesn't matter. It's knowing what's happening and being able to react to that. So when the market's down, you should be buying. When the market's up, you should be selling. It's very straightforward, but I think people, people ask me all the time, how's the market? And I go, it's great. And it'll be great in five years, it'll be great in 10 years, it'll be great in three months. It's always great if you're paying attention to perspective it. perspective on what is great changes. Yeah. But your ability to make moves doesn't change as long as you have enough knowledge yeah. about this business and this art form yeah. that we call real estate. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm being a little facetious and I don't care because... I want a strong economy because I love America. I was born in socialist Russia. I love America as much as I love anything else. I don't want a depression. Right. I don't want even, I don't even want a recession. I mean, you know, it's it's I, I I hope it stays strong forever. Of course, that's not realistic. Yeah. Because of, Yeah. Well, the point is, know, though, the market isn't good or bad. The market doesn't have good and bad. It's it just market cycle. It is what it is. Yeah, the market just, cycles. Yeah, it just and, cycles. And and you have to know, you know, and this is not very different from playing a game of chess or a game of golf or or, or anything. There, there's a cycle to everything. Yeah. Um, the point is what most people don't understand. The best offense is defense and the best defense is offense. So if your business model is built on both, not one or the other, both, then you can operate. Yeah, agreed. I love and, it. And the thing is, even if the market is high, listen, when, somebody's always complaining. When there's <laughs> discount in the market, the yeah. money is tight yeah. because the lenders are tight, yeah. because the economy is cycling down. So it's difficult to get things financed. So we're complaining about that. When the market's high, you can get cheap money all day long. I can get, you know, 2.8% 10-year paper for Freddie Mac. Yeah. That's, you know, might as well be free, right? Yep. But the deals are high. Yeah. But can you wrap your head around how to make those deals work in spite of them being high? And then on the bottom side of it, who's going to give you a call if you are waiting for the deals, for the market to cycle. We don't know when it's going to happen. When it does happen, 
who's going to get a call? Me or Mike or you? You're sitting on the sidelines waiting for that to happen. Good luck getting that call. Yeah. Mike and I are still going to clean up. Yeah. Because why? Because we're a known commodity. We have the relationship. We have the expertise. We have the operational knowledge. Yep. And so when it comes to raising capital and when it comes to getting a loan from Freddie Mac, guess who is getting that money? You or me yep. at the end of the day. Yep. And so I don't, you know, it's, it's good or really good. I, I don't buy into this, this idea that you, ha- you can only time buying yeah. uh, to a certain time in the cycle. You know, you can't buy the same way. You can't buy the same product. You can't, but that kind of evolution that, that we started the podcast with, you look at yourself in the mirror, yep. that evolution never stops. Those pivots never stop. It's like a ladder. You climb a step, you catch your balance, and after a while, you realize that you're losing that balance because the step is pulling away or going sideways. Now you got to go to the next step. Yep. That evolutionary process never, ever ends. That's what they call professionalism in real estate investing. You got to be able to learn and pivot, make changes. Yep. But if you understand this, then you understand that cyclicity doesn't have anything definitive to say about you playing the game. Yeah. I agree, man. I love it. Well said. I don't think I can improve upon that. Listen, we've hit the hour. I'm going to let you go, but I listen, I really appreciate your time. I know you don't use it so much, but just in case people are interested in that cash flow, uh, that, that program, just ask benwide.com. Otherwise, is it whitehavencapital.com? whitehavencapital.com. Go there and check out what Ben's up to. If you like what he has to talk about, go check out what he's doing. And perhaps maybe it makes sense for you at some point to reach out to him about being involved in his syndications. Ben, as always, man, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your expertise. And more importantly, all kidding aside, I appreciate your candor and your straightforwardness because it gets, sometimes it's difficult. I'm not going to name names, but not everyone has this like just honesty. Sometimes it's very packaged and and it's positioned in a certain way because they're trying to, you just say it, man. And I like that. So thanks for that. It's my pleasure. All right, man. Well, we won't wait seven years for the next time. Hopefully we can do this again sooner. But again, thanks for your time. All the luck in the world to you. I know you're uh, you're good at what you do, but uh, luck never hurts. So good luck in everything you do. (laughs) All right, man. Good luck to you. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. I told you, Ben's a straight shooter. He comes at it from a uh, position of just honesty, right? And uh, sometimes that includes a few choice words, but I think we can handle it. Uh, I enjoy interviewing Ben. I enjoy talking to Ben. He's just a he's a fun guy. He's a smart guy, uh, and and he just like I said, he's a straight shooter. But he's he's seen a lot. He's done a lot, and I just know from knowing him over the years that um, he's a conservative investor. He's not out there taking wild risks without any like when he tells you something you can absolutely take it to the bank because he does his due diligence he has studied the game he knows what he's talking about and i like those kind of people it's interesting and fun for me to have a chance to get into the mind of someone who is very meticulous in his research very very knowledgeable about what he talks about and ben has had an evolution over the years of going from single family to like duplex you know uh, fourplex you know small multifamily and now larger syndications and to the point that he's uprooted his family moved to arizona and and because he did it strategically to make sure that uh Uh, Everything was aligned to make sure that he was successful and his family had the best chance for success in life. So love it. I applaud the guy. I enjoy interviewing him. I hope you guys got a lot out of that. It was a little higher level discussion. Uh, It was a little more advanced, which is great because if you're not there yet, you get to hear it. And if you're there now, this was very actionable for you. So I hope you enjoyed that. But guys, get out there and get started. You know, Ben didn't do this overnight. This is not an overnight thing that he is where he is. He started small, built himself up, and he did what he needed to do at the moment and the time he was in, built that business until he was able to move on to the next step and that's what it's all about but it doesn't work until you get out there stop sitting on the sidelines stop thinking and start doing okay guys we'll see you next time
Okay, you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, level jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words just start as two words now just start to the number 55444 so text just start to 55444 I will send you a free digital download of my book it's the complete book there's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me and I really really appreciate it guys so I want to do something nice for you I do this every once in a while at the end of shows and if you listen to the very end every once in a while I do a giveaway like this so hopefully you enjoy that go grab a free copy I hope you read it I hope you love it reach out let me know what you think all right guys talk to you next time